Hello, I'm Richard Causey, the chair of Redbubble Limited. People want to do something important. By the time I meet most people, they've, they've been struggling with this. So if it was not worth doing, they wouldn't be doing it. There's many, many easier ways of making money mm. than founding a company or working in an early stage startup. They're just, oh, you know, why pick that? You've, there needs to be a passion for doing it. Redbubble's a global marketplace for art and design. The way in which it works is that artists and designers upload images, a customer comes along, and when they order that image, it will be created for them by an independent fulfiller through a print-on-demand process. So we're a global marketplace for art and design printed on, uh, on, on a range of products by third-party fulfillers. Martin Hosking, one of three co-founders of Redbubble and its longtime CEO, I'm Courtney Carthy. Welcome to season two of Scale Up from Launch Vic. Sitting in the meditation room at the Collins Street head office, Martin was trawling through some old emails from around 2008. Um, just, so this is, this is just before the GFC, and things are going well, at least with the artists and the artists. Has it occurred to you, creators of Redbubble, that you may have created something vastly more than you envisaged, an outcome unexpected? I get a sense unclear yet as to what it is about that I have entered a dimension where there is warm and vibrant contact. And there was a number, number of other of these quotes, which I can read out if you like, but it was that real positive vibe. Positive, yes. Growing, yes. Profitable, not really. Barely two years old, trying to build an artist marketplace from Melbourne that's been global from pretty much day one. Then we, we had the great global financial crisis. Share markets around the world have suffered large losses. And the reality is, in recent days, we have entered a new and damaging stage in the global financial crisis. The truth is that what Australia is experiencing is the economic equivalent of a rolling national security crisis. That means there is going to be a lot of rough weather ahead. It's hard for people to recall quite how bad things were, um, and, and particularly in Australia. But, you know, I was speaking to a very, very senior um, uh, Australian economist who was, had sat on the, on the Reserve Bank Board. Uh, and they, at this stage, and he, was on the, and he or she was on the Reserve Bank Board during this time, they, there was a genuine concern that the ATMs would stop working, that they, wouldn't, they would not long. You know, can you imagine what that would have happened if people had gone to the ATMs and the cash hadn't spun out? This season, we're covering Redbubble, a company that's gone from a terrace house in Fitzroy to the incredible creative hub, global three-sided marketplace, and advocate for unleashing creativity. Scale Up is here thanks to Launch Vic, the Victorian government agency helping to build the infrastructure for startups to grow. If you've got anything to do with startups in Victoria, go to launchvic.org or check out the episode description for more information. Eight years after the global financial crisis, a team of Redbubble's first 11 employees, Chairman Richard Causey and Martin Hosking, among others, stood in a room with a bell at the Australian Stock Exchange. Mr. Baxter perched at the podium and a banner stage left exclaiming, we stand for artists. There's plenty to cover, from the early office in a townhouse. You know, they were pretty laid back, dressed in, you know, shorts, and some didn't even have shoes. To the ballooning artistic community. The art 
builds the community and then all of a sudden it became a massive community of artists. Disputes. The current intellectual property laws in Australia, um, they're certainly the worst in the OECD. Entrepreneurship. Startups live on that line of imminent failure. Logistics. Redbubble's one of the larger customers. Um, They are the largest fulfillment customer. And like we just heard, the IPO in 2016. This was um, the MD report from December 2008. Redbubble continues to experience scaling challenges in accounting, customer service, community management, hosting and fraud control. These scaling challenges have significantly curtailed our ability to invest in marketing or sales related activities. Little progress has been made towards the optimization of the logistics engine. In other words, we couldn't deliver anything. And finally, the financial report is not sufficiently accurate to be presented to the board. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's that, 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 you know, can you imagine what, that, and, yeah, but still, you know, still getting, you know, the growth, still getting, you know, growth rates in customers. We're still growing it to like 10% a month in terms of, uh, in terms of customers or something, you know, 8% a month. Like, you know, you're still getting a whole, in terms of people joining the site. You just can't, the thing is just creaking, you know. The GFC began with the housing crisis in the US back in 2007, a bubble in the subprime real estate market there, and then shook credit from the hands of borrowers bankrupting companies, shedding financial workers, boarding up homes and keeping politicians the world over in constant fear their country would slide into recession, and many did. Barack Obama was elected in the midst of it all, and the meme, sad guys on trading floors, had its moment in the sun on Tumblr. During the global financial crisis, Redbubble scrambled, scrambled their plans for a San Francisco office and scrambled to shore up the company's finances. The new office was off the table, orders were getting stopped by US Customs, and investors were about to be put in a very tough spot. What One of the consequences of all of this is that America significantly clamped down on the time it was pro- taking time to pr- process sales. Um, I will say at this time we had Peter Stiles had moved to the United States and Xavier Shea was there as well. Yeah, so my name is Xavier Shea. I'm currently based in San Francisco. Uh, most recently, I was the director of payment engineering and analytics at Square. Xavier was at Redbubble between 2007 and 2009, discovered by the then CEO, Peter Stiles, thanks to his blog about Ruby on Rails after finishing uni at Swinburne's Hawthorne campus. For a long time, Redbubble ran on Ruby, according to Xavier, because it was a fast language to build and ship in. I sort of packed up my bag, said goodbye to it, and said, bye, everyone, I'm moving to the States. We got to the States, and then both the, all the funding dried up and our visas got denied <laughs> pretty much when the, when the whole crash happened. So Pete, Pete and I had gone over there. So we thought we might be able to open our, an office in San Francisco. The GFC hit, and we're just becoming clear that we were going to have to be really, really careful uh, about our finances. Um, and so we, we, we shut that down, and we were just you know, just conserving cash any possible way in which we could. And within three months, we, we ended up coming home again. At the time, Redbubble had a London office, using air quotes for that one. They still have the same London office, but like back then, it was often somewhere in Natalie Tyler's house. So I work from home and I have worked from home for nearly 10 years. So you can, you can probably tell 
from my accent that uh, I'm originally a Melbourneite, um, but I've lived in England for 15 years. So I started working for Redbubble while I was living in England. Yep. So everybody went back to base and I said, well, I don't live there, so I'm not going back. Um, I'll just hold out for a while and see what happens. Um, and it took a long while for us to get back around to thinking about Europe, uh, the US. Natalie had joined the company very early on. She's now the content director, a varied role between community, brand and voice of Redbubble. So when the global financial crisis hit, there were some conversations around, I think, I think we got to the point where um, Martin was furiously trying to raise rounds of investment and we were heading towards conversations about, you know, what, what, it, what is the plan should the balance drop to a certain point. Um, and luckily for us, Martin was fantastic in, in spreading the word about Redbubble and getting people on board who were dedicated and wanted to be a part of this thing. Redbubble had raised $2 million pre-launch off a business plan and Martin's previous success with another company, Looksmart, that was at one time worth more than Qantas. For Australia, this is largely unheard of. However, the team's credentials and contacts from previous ventures made it possible. Looksmart was, in fact, the first Australian company to list on the NASDAQ, but more of that in coming episodes. Richard Causey is an investor in Redbubble and now serves as the chair of the Redbubble board. He had his own problems at the time of the financial crisis. Well, I was CEO of a listed finance company, so I, I was immersed in all sorts of pain in that case. <laughs> but I do remember the conversations that I was having with, with Martin. What did he and, say? And he was just sort of talking about it. We, we, we need to raise capital. You know, this, is, this is the traction we've got. And you know, do we think there's a business here? And, and do you think there's a business here? Because at that stage, I was, I was, I was an investor. I said, yeah, I think with this traction... Trans- traction there is a business here and we had a really good set of shareholders in the early, in the early stages um, we couldn't raise venture capital uh, even quite recently until quite recently we couldn't ra- we couldn't raise venture capital we you know Martin really broke some of the doors down all around the place but what we did have I think is really high value knowledgeable uh, investors that had been in this space. Uh, so we had some, you know, some, some great expert private investors that were there. Thankfully for Redbubble, there's a way companies can use their position to encourage investors to tip in again. So actually, when we came around to it, we decided we were going to do a down round. And oh, that's where the price is down from the last time you raised capital. And so if you don't participate... Um, you're going to get diluted. Uh, and we only put that to existing investors. So it was, it's a way of you know, semi-forcing your existing investors to provide more capital to the company. And we, we, that was not an easy decision. No one likes to do a down round. Um, and we decided to do a down round, not at a huge discount, but at a discount that, that meant that people had to ante up or they were going to get diluted. And um, a few of us just stepped up and said, yep, sure. And we got, it, we got it done. And I don't remember it being painful, but that could be because I was in a whole world of pain in, in, 
in my day job. And we were very lucky that our investors were supportive and decided to put more capital in the company because it was it takes time to sort these things out. You know, there was lots of good signs. There was lots of good artist engagement. You know, I've got all the I've got all the business plans. Lots of really positive stuff happening. But it was we with negative margins. The, the actual economics didn't look good at that stage. So we really needed more capital. You know, desperately. And I don't think we raised a lot in that round. And maybe it was a million dollars, a bit over a million dollars. But it was enough to sort of keep us going through the GFC. What, what, what's the answer on the other end of the phone? We need to tell somebody that. Uh, I dodged that one. I think I had one call with some with a, with with. A person that I knew that was in, in invested, co-invested into the company. But what that did they was, say to you? Oh, a number of expletives, um, <laughs> which which were perfectly fine. Um, they'd already had a conversation with Martin. You know, that's those conversations. I think are <laughs> in the in the vernacular character building, and the character that was built was predominantly Martin's in that in that component. Um, he he had the courage to have those conversations. Um, I had a conversation with a with one of the co-investors that were there, um, but in the end, it came down to do, you know, are we comfortable with the traction here? Do we think this is building value? Uh, do we think it, it's it's survivable? And already there were really strongly emergent signs that this was this was a scalable business. It was a we were already global, you know, almost from. Day one, we were global, uh, and we were scaling well in surprising areas. Um, so there was something there. I, so I don't remember it being a difficult decision, um, and I but I don't remember it being um, an easy decision uh, in the sense of just oh, okay, yeah, sure, and feeling comfortable with it from the get go. But it was not difficult once you actually had a look at the dynamics of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a number of people said, okay, well, we're prepared to support it. Uh, and if others won't take up their allotment, we will. Uh, so they wanted to play a bigger part of it. Um, so those people that didn't participate got diluted. Yeah. And it's not pleasant, uh, but it's actually just a core reality of doing business in this, in this space. People have already forgotten what the GFC was like, you know, because people, we didn't know whether it was the start of the next great, great depression. And in America, it was called the Great Recession, you know. So, it, you know, you know, this is when Barack Obama came, got, got into power. You know, what a terrible state of the country was left in when, he, you know, with, with the, with, when he got into power. Um, but for, for, you know, the investors were pretty concerned about, you know, but they also knew they had something in Redbubble as well. Uh, and so there was enough positive thing. But it was, you either invest in the company or it's going to fold and we're going to do it at a lower rate. I think what absolutely was critical to it was I was prepared to put my hand in my pocket for more money. So I invested in that round significantly, and as indeed did Richard um, and, and other investors, Simon Baker and others. So the fact we had some core investors who really did put, increase, put, have you know found some money for it made it all happen. But... Those investors have all done incredibly well out of that because it was, you know, at a lower price than the previous round. So clearly, that was it was a very good investment for them. But it was, I think, it was tough for the people to make those decisions. The choice of not made it put not. It wasn't as it wasn't as bad as some down rounds. It was sort of, you know, there's a some, you know, some companies did much worse. You know, had not worse. They did more desperate things than us to force investors to to increase their, their stake. Because of the supportive investors, Redbubble didn't need to go down a more aggressive path, encouraging them to pony up or lose out. 
There's, there's companies where they issue a new class of shares um, and at, a, at a lower price, which has got better rights than the previous group of shares. And so the, the rights of the previous shareholders, unless they participate, get squashed. So there's, um, um, there's a various sorts of ways in which you can... Uh, which, um, which, and those are, those are the sorts of things which, you do, which companies do when, they, when they're absolutely desperate for capital. Martin is one of a few Australians that's been through something like this before. Another one and an investor in Redbubble is Simon Baker of the REA Group. You might know realestate.com.au who'd been through a collapse of the internet companies back in 2001 and Martin described him as fundamental. And he had really, he was pretty said, you know, just focusing on getting, just focused pretty narrowly on getting customers in. And we really, at that point in, this is say 2009, we really just focused on the economics and the fundamentals of the business. We'd done a lot of work, as I read out earlier, the artists were happy, they were engaged, but we hadn't got a good, good consumer experience. And so it was just like, let's just improve the consumer experience. Let's make sure it gets better and better and better and then the sales get better. And so we took the conversion rate from point two of a percent of all visits to up to two percent where it is now and quite quickly and i think that simon was having seen it before you know you've got a sort of a luxury as a as a new company as a startup it's a bit of a luxury it doesn't feel like that of you know exploring things and getting on but after a point in time as a company you know certainly when things are tough you need to focus and 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 that was a time of really just focusing in on fundamentals so we never quite got to that point but I i feel from some of those conversations at that time we were heading in that direction so i always look around me when i'm in melbourne and think about the fact that you know we're here and we're the size that we are and we've grown so much and and i never take that for granted the doom and gloom of a global recession was to be expected the outcome who was swimming naked was becoming apparent as henry poulson the u.s treasury secretary at the time with the outgoing and the incoming presidential administration chose what to save and what to let go with a stimulus budget of about 700 billion US. In the MD report to the board, 18th of January 2019, then managing director Peter Stiles wrote this. December was our first profitable month. Sales held up much better than expected. This has increased my confidence that Redbubble will be better positioned than most to ride out the global recession. As the ripple made it to Australia that year, a large chunk of the population would receive $900 from the Rudd federal government, a way to broadly stimulate the economy before we too might fall into recession. You might remember at the time, Kogan, the Australian electronics retailer, jumped on the cash injection, offering Kevin 37 TVs. 37-inch flat-screen TVs for exactly $900, a version of the successful Prime Ministerial campaign a couple of years before with the slogan, Kevin 07. While the US government spent big and the banks looked inward, a subtle change crept around the US border. From what we can tell, it was implemented by the Federal US Agency Customs and Border Protection, and it was a change in the forms relating to country of origin for textiles. Here's Richard Causey and Martin Hosking. This caused headaches for Redbubble. There was a lot going on in that period of time. So there, there, around the world, there was a movement to protectionism by another name. And it was done really through, uh, uh, through customs. 
what the US did was that they really they didn't they didn't make an explicit statement of it. They just reduced the rate at which stuff came into the states. You know, they reduce and that was really reducing outbound cash out of the US. And we couldn't ship things into the US. We was just ridiculous. Natalie remembers it too. They were telling us that they were holding our shipments, and it was something to do with the way that the customs forms were filled out that they weren't happy with. So we've got Christmas orders that are obviously quite time sensitive. We're under the impression that things are still on their way. They just held up. Um, we've got multiple communications going out to our customers to try and keep them informed. There's generally a high anxiety at Christmas from from customers wanting their orders and wanting to know that these presents that they've bought people are gonna get there on time. Imagine the situation, orders probably still coming in, half a world away, customers are getting anxious, you've got no control over what the product is doing or where it is exactly, and this is happening in the very late 2000s. Logistic communication services were not what they are today. It was the only way of getting through around the customs issues was to send them to some individual who would receive them and then they'd then put them, take them down, literally put them into the postal service to get them shipped around America. Sending bulk packages to someone in country to then be broken down and redistributed didn't only happen in the US. It was a workaround Redbubble used for Europe later too. The whole of Europe, pretty much to Nat's house. But we'll get to that later. The good news out of that is we really started to uh, localise production. So actually in the end, that was a bit of a blessing for us. And we also started, we used that to get much better relationships with our logistics providers. So they're now two of the core legs of the business, which is the relationships we have with our shipping suppliers and logistics suppliers and our localisation. So... Um, in this, you know, often no good deed goes unpunished. Here this was sort of no pain, didn't have a benefit. My personal view is, and I, this is unsubstantiated, is that it was just, it was protection by another name. So the scramble continued. No one was immune from the drive to create a company of value with creativity and expression of those directly and indirectly involved at the very core, underlined by what was possible at the time on the internet and with printing technology available. The global financial crisis was was, was particularly tough, uh, and so, and you know, we will go through those periods again. And so, perhaps it's that you know, and that's in the sort of 2008, 2009, uh, and so that there's certainly uh, stories that both are being in the, the depths of the marketplace, but also just the challenges of being of going through the GFC. Never were close to not paying payroll, for example, you know, and so we had always been pretty careful not to get into that sort of state, you know. Peter laid off, and I will say that Peter's running the company at this point, not me. And he was, and he had, and he'd laid off people to reduce cash flow, uh, and he was pretty good at making sure that we just were, we understood where the cash was. I do remember this is now getting on a little bit. This is getting a bit after this period. I was, we, we were very conscious of the need to improve the site and improve the consumer experience, and we did a and this is actually now after I had taken charge, we did a, our first branding project and I had to write a check for $100,000 or commit to $100,000 spend to do this branding project. And that was just, you, I can just see anxiety of writing such a large, committing to such a large expenditure to do something it was just very, very, very tense for me to, do, to get to make that happen. But it ended up being a great project, but boy, oh boy, it was hard work to, it was a hard, very, very big decision for me then. 
what advice do you have for people who are going to go through the next one? Well, hopefully it won't be quite that magnitude because uh, that was as close as we would want to get to a, a global financial meltdown without having a true global financial meltdown. I think the only thing I can say would be don't get too carried away um, by success. Um, you know, you and particularly there's this slight, you know, the companies which survived the global financial crisis, the tech companies which survived, had enough of a business model there and probably had de-risked their businesses enough so that they had enough resources. You know, they're not the worst things in the world, small recessions, because they, you know, there's a lot of, you know, poorly, badly funded companies, poor companies which are around, exist in, in good times, which don't exist in badder times. And so they actually quite, can be quite good for better companies. But it is, it's pretty tough. And I think if you want to be a better company, don't put your company so at risk uh, that, you, that you don't have, um, uh, you know, that it, it doesn't have some resi- resilience to it. And I think particular, in particular, um, you know, companies which have, have really struggled at that stage were those which had um, were really unclear about what their business proposition was or how they're going to make money. So I think having a little bit of whereas companies which worked, including Aconex and Atlassian, ourselves had enough had enough of that there that we could 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 weather the storm. Yeah, we jumped ahead a couple of years in this first episode, and the next we're going back to the start. Unlike Culture Amp in the last season, Redbubble didn't get their first offer of investment in a Sydney cab on the way to the airport. The three co-founders raised $2 million in seed funding from a business plan and a history that includes listing the first Australian company ever on the NASDAQ stock exchange. It's a unique and a replicable set of circumstances. You know, people would ask me what your career is at Redbubble and I said, well, your career is to survive, you know. You get pretty clear about what the objective of people is, and I think that you know. And you also—that's where I think you know the people that come through that, and you've met with some of those people, the Nats and the and the and the Russells. You know, these are people who have really you know, had such a because they you know they really carried the company through these sort of very very difficult periods early on. Please subscribe to Scale Up where you're listening. Tell a friend too who you think would like the show. Ahead in the series are experiences of building a marketplace global logistics, a trip to Horsham, court cases, and the reflection of how hard it is to build a business. Scale Up is here thanks to LaunchVic. Check them out, launchvic.org. If you have anything to do with startups in Victoria, they've got a lot of great information. I'm Courtney Carthy. Thanks for listening. Here's a bit of what's to come on the next episode. We've always had people turning up at the office asking to buy things as well. They'll figure out where Redbubble is. Oh, I think I think a few times that someone sat down with them and held them order stuff on the internet. I had a call from one of the um, accountants at the firm asking if I was interested in um, sort of joining one of their team member in helping out with the books. So to meet him at this office in Fitzroy, which was not an office, was actually a townhouse. And when I walked in, I came dressed up in a suit and things like that. And I just remember walking into the door, I was just walking into a garage, it was all painted black. Back then I was like, I was just a guy who wrote a lot of code, you know. I mean, we found ways of experimenting on just about everything. And then we just realised after about six weeks, hey, we don't really want to do this.